also through it uh, better in our conversation with others and are discussing the larger and important topic of creation. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, the days of creation week. This is a notoriously complex question. There are difficulties, in my opinion, for all sides of the discussion. And I would like to say at the beginning that, um, and I don't think we have any trouble with this here, it's just to clarify it, is that not all views on the days of creation are science-driven. There are considerations in the text of Scripture itself that have led uh, people to different understandings of the meaning of the word day in Genesis chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, is, uh, verses 1 to 3 as well. There are some old earthers that long predate Darwin. Um, some of them were influenced by uh, the scientific findings of the geological ages and those kinds of things, but many of them long predate that. It goes back as far as Augustine. Um, so, we, so we have views on different sides and don't think that if someone is an old earther, that the days are ages or whatever, uh, that he's necessarily being influenced by some commitment to evolution or something like that. I think the discussion calls for humility. Uh, the views on either side of this question are the days to be understood as 24-hour days, or are they to be understood as ages or something else? And there are more than two options. Often those views are held with real heat, even if uh, not much light, often. Um, and actually, to tell you the truth, I approach this today only because there's been so much interest in it when we come through uh, the discussion of creation in Genesis 1. I'm a little bit afraid of it because because opinions on this are often held with so much fervor and heat, and I think sometimes when they shouldn't be. My, I'll just give you a little story myself here. When I first taught on this subject, I was teaching in Denver, Colorado. I was an assistant pastor at the time. This was back in the early 80s, and uh, I was in charge of a college and career age class, and uh, most of the students there were students at Denver State. And many of those uh, were science majors at Denver State. And they asked if I would teach on creation and evolution. So what am I going to do? Um, so I did. And because I felt inadequate to it, I, I read fully 100 books on the subject, uh, most of them from a young earth perspective. So I learned that very well. I also read Darwin and some other things as well. But I felt like I finally I was well acquainted with the subject. Um, I was at that time committed to a young earth position. Um, I'll tell you now, I'm not committed to that. I'm not persuaded against it. I'm not committed to it like I was. When I came to this area and went to seminary down here at Biblical Seminary uh, in the late 80s, I ran into some people who had done... Uh, more work on the subject They're from an old earth perspective. And the first thing that struck me about what they were saying was, I thought I had all the answers. First thing that struck me was, all right, there's, there's more to this discussion than I was led to believe. And so immediately it was, it was a humbling thing. Um, 
we had a speaker here um, at RBC some years ago. Someone from the Creation Research Institute was in the area giving some lectures, and someone from the congregation requested that we have him in. He was available for a Sunday morning. They requested that we have him here. And so we looked into it. He had a list of topics that he would deal with. Age of the earth was one. The meaning of the days was, was one. You know, and, and we said, no, we don't want that. And we picked a safe subject for him to address. He came here and addressed the subject of the age of the earth and didn't do what we'd asked. Um, and we had some people um, who weren't happy with that. Um, I've told you this story before. For those of you who haven't heard it, I want to repeat it again. Uh, when I was, <clears throat> we went through a period at a uh, church where I served up in Schuylkill County many years ago in Pottsville. We went through a brief time where we discussed the uh, question of the age of the earth and the meaning of the word day and all of that. Had some experts come in, and, and uh, we were all excited about that kind of thing. Bruce will remember that. Uh, and uh, one day we were having a men's meeting. Uh, discuss some business for the church, and we just got into the discussion again about the age of the earth, because that was the hot topic right then. And an old man in the church, Bud Langell, a wonderful guy, he sat there quietly in the men's meeting until finally he blurted out, who in the world cares how old the rocks are? <laughs> and it, it was a learning moment for me. I thought, you know, he's normal, we're not. Um, I think most people are like that. Who cares how old the rocks are? You get into the question of the age of man and all of that, okay, that gets a little more difficult. But how old are the rocks? This, I don't know of anything that hangs on this question. I don't know of any theological implications of it that hurt or help any other position. This doesn't, the answer to this question, I don't think, helps evolution or hurts it. I, I, I think... I think what you are about to hear is one of the least important Sunday school lessons you'll ever hear <laughs> at RBC. I think I've told you this before as well, but I want to say it again for those who have it, just to drive the point. I had a friend up in Pottsville at the church there who said I used to drive a tack with a sledgehammer. That's what I'm doing now. Um, previous church where I pastored, one Sunday morning, man came to the door just really exercised over the question of the age of the earth. And I forget now if he was older, young earth, I forget which. Met me at the door on the way out and started in on it. And this is why, I'll just say young earth, and this is why the Bible insists on it, it's very important, and he went on and on about it, and I just nodded my head and said, yeah, you're probably right. The very next Sunday, honest, the very next Sunday, another man met me at the door, just the opposite opinion, just as exercised over it. And he's going into all of his reasons, it has to be an old earth. And I nodded, and yes, and yep, you're probably right. <laughs> and I, it's just not one of those issues I want to fight over. But having said that, I do think there are some considerations that are worth taking our time, if nothing else, to temper our discussions and to make us more informed because it is such a uh, relevant discussion in so many uh, forums. So, we've got leading theories about the age of the earth, we've got young earth, we've got day-age interp uh, interpretation of the, age of the days. 
There's a view called the analogical framework, that the days are not literal 24, but they're analogous to the um, days of, of our work week, the seven days. Uh, we have the framework theory, literary framework. I'm not going to get into all of that. If you would like a very helpful, um, brief, easy-to-read overview of the various interpretations of Genesis 1 regarding the days, get Vern Poythress' book. It's just a little booklet entitled Christian Interpretations of Genesis 1. Uh, it's an easy read. You can do it at one sitting. It's a marvelous little uh, interp- um, overview survey of the various interpretations. So I'm going to give some miscellaneous considerations here, and then we'll uh, see where we go from there. First of all, keep in mind what I've already said. The focus here is not the uh, age of man. It's the age of the earth. Whatever the age of man, and we will get to that question later in Genesis 5 and 10, where we have the genealogies. Uh, so this is an in-house debate. Uh, creationists, creationists differ on this question of the understanding of the days. This is not just a question between creationists and evolutionists. Number two, a recognition of a mature, original creation is important, but it doesn't answer all the questions. Now, I dealt with that last time, so I don't have to go into detail with that this time. There are some uh, old earthers that like to use the, the, the argument that it takes so long for the light of the sun and the stars to get to the earth. It must be at least that old, and they calculate back. And I don't think that that argument has any teeth, um, because any creation of any kind necessarily involves a mature creation. So I don't think that that argument of the old earthers holds any water. Number three, and this is a question. This is an, a point that I think is not often brought up. And that is, it's an open question when day one begins. Now, you remember we pointed that out, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth without form and void, darkness covered the face of the earth. Then verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then we have day 1. Verses 1 and 2 are the original creation, and then verse 3 starts creation week as we know it. There is no way to determine that I can tell exegetically if verses 1 and 2 belong to that first day or if it's somewhere before. I can't find a way to determine uh, the answer to that. It's an open question as far as I can tell. Number four, the mere use of the word, these are just miscellaneous considerations. The, The mere use of the word day does not settle anything for either side of the debate. The word day, as you know, has a broad semantic range. As in any language, it can refer to a period of 24 hours. It can refer to a part of a day, a work day. It can refer to a period of time. And all of that you find in the scriptures as well. You have a, a day meaning a 24 hours. You have it meaning a work day. You have it meaning the, the day of Messiah, the day of trouble. You have the, the eternal day. And you have all kinds of expressions like that. The word day is not determinative. There must be other considerations to define it. The day of salvation, thing, things like that. In chapter 1, if you'd like to look, verse 5 The word day is used in two different senses. God called the light day. 
and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. Day is used in two different senses in the same verse. Then if you look at chapter 2 and verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. It seems like that word day is a reference back to the whole creation week. Now, this is nothing surprising. The word day has that kind of a range of meanings in every language. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Then we have the day 7, which I will argue in a little bit is, well, let's look at it now. I think that day is permanent. That day was never closed. We don't have the typical expression at the end of the seventh day, the evening and the morning were the seventh day, and that was that. This day remains open. In, and I'll just mention this quickly uh, to give reasons for that, why we think it remains open. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My father has been working until now, and I am working. Now, in that context, in John 5, Jesus has just healed a, a, a blind man. It was on the Sabbath day, and so there's this controversy. Should he be working on the Sabbath? Now, there are plenty of arguments that Jesus could have used to answer that. The ox in the, dicks, uh, in the ditch principle would be the obvious answer, but that's not the uh, argument he gave there. In John chapter 5, what he argues is, my father has been working until now, and I'm working. Well, what's the significance of that argument? Well, it seems to be the assumption, the unexpressed assumption is, this is God's Sabbath, and he's working. Now, he's not working in the work of creation. That work is finished. But he's doing the work of redemption on his Sabbath, the work of redemption. We'll see no more about, some more about the significance of the seventh day uh, later as well, and, and the rest. We've already seen the rest of God. Uh, in that passage. But Jesus then, healed on the Sabbath, he's accused of working on the Sabbath. His defense is, my father's doing this as well. And what's the significance of that? The whole point, I think, I don't think it can help his case at all, unless he's saying, the father is working on his Sabbath, and I'm working on Sabbath. Now, back to our question, what he's saying then is that day seven is still open. It's not been closed. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter four, or chapters 3 and 4, the writer there picks up the same question and ties the creation rest, Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, to Joshua's rest, to our rest in Christ, to our eternal rest in Christ in the final state. This day seven remains open. Now, the point there is to say that if day seven is not an ordinary day, must we understand days one to six as ordinary 24-hour days? Well, let me give you a couple of arguments in favor of a 24-hour day. One, and I think this is a, a good argument, I don't think it works, but it's an obvious argument, and that is that the usual meaning of the word day is 24 hours. That's true, but it's not usual enough to answer the question. So I think we just have to um, set that aside for the time being. One prominent argument that has been used now for several decades uh, regarding the young earth position, the literal 24-hour day position, 
is that when you have the numerical adjective, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, when you have that numerical adjective with day, it always means a 24-hour period. Um, again, I don't see the real force to that. All that the numerical adjective demands, I think, is just chronology. This one's first, this one's second, this one's third. I don't think it demands a particular period of time. I think that argument is gratuitous. There's nothing in the lexicons that would uh, say that it has to mean that. I think that, uh, and the argument would be that every other time in the scriptures that first day or third day or day four or whatever is used, it refers to a literal 24-hour day. I'm not sure where on an old earth view or a stretched day view where they would have opportunity to answer that. I think the, the argument is just gratuitous. Um, first age, second age, when would you need that? You do, however, have a very close parallel to it in Daniel chapter 9, where you have weeks, 70 of them, and they're not literal weeks. They are uh, obviously weeks of years. So I think with that, other factors have to be brought in to determine it. I'm not saying that the uh, literal day age is necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that doesn't answer it. Then there's the next expression, the evening and the morning. This is another argument used in favor of a, of a literal day. The evening and the morning, that sounds like a 24-hour period. Perhaps that is the simplest way of understanding the verse. But again, you've got to ask, why does it say evening and morning and not morning and evening? The normal way of speaking. What's going on with that? Why does it reverse it? Now, you do have in Exodus chapter 20, with the law of the Sabbath, establishing an analogy. You work six days, rest the seventh day, because... God rested on the seventh day. There it is in the Ten Commandments. But again, does that mean that those were literal days, or does that simply mean that that was an analogy, analogous to our work week? I don't think the text determines that. I don't see how it can. I don't think we can get, in other words, out of Exodus 20, anything more than God's work, our work of, of uh, our week of working six days, resting on the seventh, is like God's creation week of working six days and resting on the seventh. But how to define that, I don't know. Let me give you some ex- arguments against the 24-hour period. One is the semantic range of the word day. We already talked about that. Day can mean a lot of things. The day of salvation, the day of Messiah, the eternal day, the day of trouble, and so on. Another consideration, we have the first three days, we have a day-night cycle, according to this view, the the 24-hour view. But the sun doesn't appear until day four on the young earth 24-hour view. The sun is not created until day four. Now, my only question here is if if the first three days were not solar days, 
What's the requirement that we believe that uh, beginning at day four, they are solar days? That's just a question. Again, this expression, the evening and the morning, rather than morning and evening. We find that in verse, Genesis 1, verse 5, verse 8, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, 31. Something else, I think, is being indicated. And I'll, I think I'll say more of that in a minute. I think very importantly here, and this is the one that first got my attention on the subject of the, the meaning of the word days here, is that some of the days in creation week seem to involve more than what can be accomplished in 24 hours. Now, I'll say up front, God can do anything in any amount of time he wants to, of course. But some things are going on here that seem to require more than 24 hours. For instance, day three. Look at verses not, Genesis 1, 9 to 12. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that it was good and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. So here we have the, the shaping of the globe with the emergence of mountains and seas and lakes, and now we have here in this day the vegetation brought forth, plants yielding seed. It does not say... Something like, let the earth be covered with vegetation and great trees standing at their full heights. It says, let them bring forth. And they brought forth. Let the earth sprout vegetations, plants yielding seed. And then the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed according to its kind. So did all of this happen instantaneously? Or is this describing something that happened over a period of time? E.J. Young, years ago, a famous um, respected Old Testament scholar from Westminster of a couple generations ago, uh, argues this, that the trees and plants, they begin to grow. They're growing up out of the earth until they're covered. It seems to be what, God, what is being described here. Now, I'm not going to hang my hat on that. Um, God could certainly do that in a moment. But the question here is, what does the text say? And then more precisely, what does the text demand? I don't think it demands necessarily one way or the other. More importantly, look at all that's going on in day six. When we get to day six, we have not only those few verses at the end of Genesis 1, but we also have all of Genesis 2. That's what we're told when we get to Genesis 2. Verse 7, he creates man. That's day 6. Verses 5 and 6, he gives us the setting for that. So we have God created animals on day 6. He created the animals. That's chapter 1. Then we get to chapter chapter 2. Verse 7, God creates man. 
And then, verse 18, Adam senses his loneliness. God says it is not good. In chapter 2 and verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. That's important because in chapter 1, verse 31, it says everything's very good. So already in day 6, something is not good. Adam senses his aloneness. And then in the narrative, we have verses 19 and following. God brings the animals to Adam, and he names them, presumably by their characteristics, How many hundreds of species? How many thousands? Don't know. And then verse 20, at the end of the verse, we still have Adam sensing his loneliness. And then verse 21, Adam sleeps. Then verse 22, Eve is created. And then verses 22 and 23, Eve is brought to Adam. And he says, at last, there's someone like me. Now, in the NIV, it's translated now. Um, I think all agree that the idea here is that at last, and that's the way it's translated in the ESV here. The sense of the passage is Adam is lonely. He senses the loneliness. We go through this process with the animal. God puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, makes a woman, brings the woman to him, and at last, I have someone like me. And then, verse 25, they're both naked and not ashamed. Um, The verb tense here could very well indicate some ongoing condition. Um, How long it is is not stated. Um, Seems to be a summary kind of a statement of a happy, even a carefree lifestyle for some kind of period. All of that that we see in in chapter 2 happened in day 6. Can that be squeezed into 24 hours? I have serious doubts about it. Now, the next two that I'll I'll mention these together, and I've already alluded to them already. One, day seven is left open. It's still open. God continues to rest from his creation. And then we have the repeated refrain, there was evening and there was morning, the nth day of each of the six days. Now, it's a strange order, the evening and the morning, and so it calls for some kind of explanation. Um, Evening and morning, what does that expression describe? Does that describe a 24-hour period? Or does it describe the time between the work days? So you have some Expressions like in Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. Evening to morning, it's the time between. So that's the night time. It's the time between the work days. Is that expression then reflecting God worked during this period, the evening and the morning, the time when he rested between or or took off between those work periods? That could work. A related expression is Psalm 104, verse 23, man goes out to his work and his labors until evening. Then the evening and the morning, then we have the next day. That might be what's going on here. That would help us understand chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the seventh day. Um, There's no evening and morning refrain. 
It's curious for its absence because God doesn't take off from work now. He just stops working altogether. Um, There's no rest time after day seven because he's still resting. It's still open. And then chapter two, verse four begins a new story. All right, something else. Chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. We saw this before. I want to bring it up again just quickly. Here we have this strange discussion about no bush of the field yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. Why? Not because it hadn't been created yet, but because the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there's no one to work the ground, no, no gardener. And so this mist or stream of water or whatever it is going up to water the land on the face of the ground. Now we saw that what this evidently means, we saw it several weeks ago in our discussion of this passage. What this is talking about evidently is some particular region where it was dry. Rainy season comes, but it's not cultivated. And so God puts a man in the garden, a gardener, to cultivate it. And the problem solved. And now the idea is to extend the garden outwards to the end of the earth. So you have a watered area, but the ground is not irrigated, and you have, it's not watered uh, sufficiently for the plant growth, and so God takes the needed steps of making the gardener, puts him in the gardener, garden, and the problem is solved. So as one guy writes, this is Jack Collins, in some particular land, in some particular year, at the time of the year before the rainy season had begun, and when the mist or rain cloud or stream or whatever this is was rising, which may suggest the beginning of the rainy season, that's when God formed the first human, planted the Garden of Eden, and transplanted the man there. So it seems to assume then some kind of seasonal cycle. Yearly cycle? Perhaps. All right, now, if that's the right understanding of verses 5 and 6, that you have a seasonal thing going on here, within day 6, there's some entailments to that. Number one, it defines day as a period of time longer than 24 hours. I don't think a 24-hour day can account for chapter 2 and verse 5 and what's going on there. Another entailment of this is that it relieves the tension of all that's going on on day six. You don't have to make all of that squeezed into 24 hours. All of chapter 2, verse 5 to 25, fits in day six. Um, I think I can skip that. But I want to say this, if that understanding that I've just given of chapter 2 is correct, that you've got a rainy season, all of that happening in day 6, defines it as more than 24 hours, even if that is the right interpretation, none of that defines old earth or young earth. We might be talking a few years, we might be talking an age, we just don't know, and we're left back to where we began. I don't know how old the rocks are. And I think that's where we're left. But even if we define the 24, these days as more than 24 hours, and I think, I think we have to, that's how I lean anyway, that still does not answer how old the earth is. 
it still has to be answered with other considerations. How much time was, was involved in all of this that's described in Genesis 1 and 2? I don't know. It doesn't necessitate ages. If you're nervous with ages before day one, you don't have to say that this teaches that. It doesn't. There's nothing of that demanded here. So old earth or young earth, that question must be decided by other factors. Now, another thing I want you to notice in all of this that I've, I've mentioned, all of these considerations arise from the biblical text itself. None of this is science-driven. None of this is depending on evolution. It's just dealing with the data that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 itself. It doesn't resolve all questions, but um, I think what we are ended up with then is days one, the days of creation week are analogous to our days, but not necessarily 24-hour days. And this, in fact, has been the view of many uh, in the history of the church. Uh, William G.T. Shedd was one. He's the um, outstanding Reformed theologian of a century ago. Um, Franz Delich, um, Herman Bovink, the great Dutch uh, theologian, the Dutch Protestants held to this. Uh, today, uh, one of the most informed and articulate spokesmen on the subject, Jack Collins from Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. He's, he's one that holds this kind of a view. Again, none of this answers the question, what, how old is the earth? And none of this touches the question of creation evolution. I am convinced to my socks against the doctrine of evolution. But I don't think this question impinges on that at all. So I think it's wise to be aware of the different alternative understandings of the passage. I think it's also wise to recognize human fallibility in interpreting the scriptures, just like there's human fallibility in interpreting scientific data. And I think given that this question in particular has had so many good men on both sides of the subject, good interpreters, that would call for a degree of humility on our part. All right, so there's the most irrelevant Sunday school lesson you've ever heard me teach. Questions, yes. Yes.